you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John. Text is also printed for you in your bulletin. As you're turning to that passage, just a reminder to take a look at the announcements in your bulletin today. I want to highlight two things. Uh, One, if you want to keep up with what's going on in the life of our church, look at the top announcement. There's a way to do that and receive our weekly newsletter. Secondly, I want you to know that there are activities tonight for your children at the church, and there's also activities for our junior high and senior high students. And so take a look at those and um, bring your kids out. Uh, It'll be a good time tonight at the church. John chapter 6, we're going to continue our study through the gospel of John this morning. This is God's holy and inspired word. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea of Capernaum. It was now dark. And Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. When they, then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask the Spirit to come and help us. God, you tell us that your words are more um, precious than silver, more costly than gold, that they are sweeter than honey. 
I pray that you would make this passage sweet to our souls this morning. Would you revive our hearts uh, with this passage this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 6, it's interesting, uh, this passage of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that Jesus performed that is included in all four of the gospel accounts. And almost always, this passage is followed by the passage we see here, the passage of Jesus walking on water to get to his disciples who are in the midst of a storm. Three out of the four gospels, that is exactly what we see. These stories are always placed together. And so the question that we should ask our passage is, why is that? Well, because these passages actually teach us the exact same thing. Look at verse 6. We get a hint at what this is all about. It says that Jesus was testing them. And when we think about a test, we immediately go to school, or at least most of us. We think of the professor, or we think of a teacher who gives you an exam or gives you a test uh, in order to see whether you pass or fail. You are tested to see whether or not you can pass the test, whether or not you measure up. And here's what's interesting. In this passage, the word for test, and we see hints of this, this story, if you read all of uh, John chapter 6, it is an echo of God feeding his people in the wilderness with manna. We see it all over the place here. And what's interesting is the word test is the same word in the book of Exodus when God's people are in the wilderness and he feeds them bread from heaven He says this, I have done this to test them to see what was in their hearts, to see whether they would walk in my way. But as we kind of dig into the word test, really a better understanding of that word as it's used is more of uh, in the sense of training. And think about it, I think that's really important. God does not test us to see whether or not we measure up. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? We don't. That's why we need Jesus. What God is doing, rather, is training us, his people, training us so that we would grow and so that we would change and so that we might love and trust him more. And so these stories this morning, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water in the storm, are given to us so that we would trust in him. He is training us to trust in him. And he trains us in two ways. Number one, he trains us by basically pushing us to the end of our resources. Pushing us to see our weakness so that we would trust in him. And secondly, he does so, he trains us to remember that we're not alone in the midst of life storms. Those two things we're going to look at this morning from this passage. Let's look at the first one. He trains us by forcing us to depend on him in weakness. Look at verse 10. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And if you look at Matthew's account of this story, it's very interesting. Matthew adds this. Those who ate were about 5,000 men in addition to women and children. 
okay? So this 5,000 only included the men. So you add women and children. Here's what we've got here, fifteen to 20,000 people. Think BJCC completely. I think it seats like 17,000. Think BJCC being completely full, Jesus in the center with his disciples. That's the picture here. Why is that such a big deal? Why do we need to, to, to bring that out? Well, I think it's a very big deal because what it does, it actually brings validity to your Bible. It brings validity to Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, one of the things people say about Christianity is, how do you know the Bible's true? How do you know, Jason, that these stories aren't just made up and that Jesus really did exist and these aren't a bunch of legends floating around? Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe those are some of the thoughts that you've had and you struggle with those things. If so, you have got to deal with this passage. You've got to deal with it because, listen, all of the Gospels were written within 30 to 40 years of Jesus' lifetime. And so what that means is that these documents, this story was circulated while many of the eyewitnesses were still alive. And so if you're going to do a miracle of this proportion, 15,000 people being fed, then it better be true. If that's what you're going to report, or you better wait until the eyewitnesses are not alive so that they're not alive to discredit it. And so bottom line is that it would not be remotely possible to make up a lie of this proportion. It would have never gotten off the ground. And so really the question when we think about the miracles is not if the miracles really happened. They did. The question, the better question, is why they happened. And so let's look at that question as we look at the feeding of the 5,000. Why did it occur? Why did Jesus do this miracle? Look at verse 5 and we start to get a hint. He says to Philip, so you think about, okay, BJCC, you with me? He looks over to Philip and says, hey, where are we going to get the bread to feed all these people? He's asking Philip that question, and Philip says, listen, Jesus, it's not in the budget. We don't have the money for this. Even if we had eight months, that's the denarii portion, eight months' wages, we couldn't possibly do this. We wouldn't even come close. Andrew's standing nearby, and he hears this conversation happening, and so he pushes this boy, and John is the only writer to tell us that it was a a little boy he pushes this boy forward and he has a few loaves of bread and a few fish and at first it sounds like that Andrew has some faith then that's simply um, kind of fades away and I think he looks and says look it's all these people and he says this is crazy there's no way this is going to happen and look at his comment he says but There are really too many people. And so he really didn't have much faith either. Then look at verse 6. We learn, and I think this is interesting, we learn that Jesus asked Philip a question that he already knew the answer to. Now, why in the world would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus, why didn't he just do the miracle? 
Why does he ask the question? He was totally capable of doing the miracle. It's late in the day. They're hot. There's 15,000 hungry people. And Jesus knew what he was going to do. And so why did he ask? Think about the scene here. John is the only one, again, to say he was a little boy. And I think that's interesting. And he has five loaves and two fish, two fishes. And don't, listen, when you think about loaves, don't think big French loaves of bread. They were biscuits. And not only were they biscuits, they were barley biscuits. And barley was the bread of the poor. And so you've got five biscuits and two sardines. That's what you have in 15,000 hungry people. And I don't know about you, but that kind of sounds laughable, doesn't it? That sounds like a complete joke. And so what is Jesus doing? Well, he's training them to trust him. He's saying, listen, my power and who I am is made perfect in your weakness. He is calling Philip and his disciples. He's pushing them to the end of themselves. And he's saying, you do not have the resources in and of yourselves to fix this problem. It is too big. You need help from the outside. And so Jesus takes this weak, meager offering, this little boy's sack lunch. And when it is offered, notice in the passage, and it's significant, when that is offered, that's when Jesus shows up and the miracle happens. Friends, Jesus doesn't take you to the end of your rope. He actually pushes you there. And why in the world would Jesus do such a thing? Because he wants to show up in power in your life and go to work. He is training them to trust him with their weakness. And he's saying, bring your weakness to me and let me go to work with it. Friends, I don't know if you're anything like me, but if you are, most of the time you probably feel, feel like you're full of fear, full of insecurity. Uh, you lack faith. Uh, lots of times you are experiencing things in your life and you're saying, I know I am not enough for this. And here's the good news. It's that God doesn't look at us in the midst of our weakness and say, get with the program. Climb the spiritual ladder, and when you get to a certain point on that ladder, then you'll know that you're useful to me. No. Jesus comes and says, he meets us where we are, and he loves us where we are, because God is a God that bears gently with weak and fragile people who have little to no resources to offer. That's incredibly good news because Jesus says, bring your two loaves, bring your, your uh, uh, five loaves, your five barley biscuits and your two sardines and offer it to me. And I will not look at you and say, do better. Come back when you've got more. But no, I will take it. And I will bless it. And I will go to work through it. And we don't believe that. 
Friends, oftentimes I don't believe that because we believe the lie that we have to live up to some standard. A standard that's not even in the Bible, by the way, but it's something that we've created and we think that God's only going to show up and do the miracle and go to work in our lives when we're on fire for Jesus, whatever that means. (laughs) Or when our prayer life gets to a certain point and we can pray for a certain amount of time or man, I just don't know my Bible well enough. I don't know my theology well enough. I, I, I need to study more. And when I get to that point, and maybe even journal afterwards, then God will start to use me. Then I'll be okay. And you know what we're saying when we do that? We're saying, I've got to be strong. Because the only people God uses are the spiritually strong. And the problem with that is, is it goes against everything we see in the entire Bible. And if we think that way, we totally miss the point of Christianity. Because look at the passage, okay? The disciples, isn't it amazing? They weren't very strong. Philip says it's not in the budget. And Andrew maybe had a little bit of faith but not much at all. And so we don't see strength here. Remember, and you're going to hear me say this a hundred times or more over the next 25 years, Lord willing. God and Christianity, it's not about the quality of your faith. If it was about the quality of our faith, if that's what Christianity was about, you and I wouldn't have a prayer. No, it's about the object of your faith. It's about Jesus. That's what we see in this passage. And I don't know about you, but I think that is a breath of fresh air. It's like water to a weary soul, isn't it? This morning, God says to all of us, Jesus says, bring your five loaves and bring your fishes. Bring the part of your life that you feel like you're not enough in. Bring that weakness. Bring that frailty. And I will bless it and I will go to work with it. Bring me your depression. And I will work through it. Not apart from it. Jesus says, bring me your weak prayer life. Bring me your anxiety and your social fear. And I will work through it, not apart from it. Bring me your chronic illness. God couldn't possibly use me because of my chronic illness and sickness. Offer it and watch God go to work with that. God can't possibly use me because of my painful past. Try him. Offer it. God works through it, not apart from it. Offer your feelings of not being enough as a parent. Anybody feel like they're not enough as a parent or a spouse? Bring that weakness to Jesus and watch him work. Where are you feeling weak this morning? Where are you feeling like you're not enough? Where are you feeling under resources? That's what Jesus wants you to bring to him because his power shows up and is made perfect in our weakness. Secondly, God trains us through the storms. And during the storms, he trains us to remember 
that we're not alone. Look at verses 16 through 21. And so Jesus uh, does this miracle with this many people. And you can imagine uh, he's got lots of people wanting to follow him. And so he retreats and he lets the disciples cross the sea without him. And what's interesting in the parallel account in the Gospel of Mark, Mark adds this little small detail that basically essentially communicates that Jesus was watching the disciples from the shore in complete control. Remember, he's training them. And so he puts them in this situation in the middle of the storm that he knew that they would have trouble handling on their own. Mark also adds that they were painfully making headway. So they were really struggling. You see, Jesus is in control of the weather. He's in control of the timing. And he puts them in this situation of chaos and darkness. He puts them intentionally in a situation that they would have trouble handling on their own. And why in the world would he do such a thing? To train us. God is training us to trust him in the middle of the storms of life. Look at verse 17. I don't know about you, but that's a scary verse to me. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. That's the way it feels sometimes, isn't it? It feels like darkness. And it feels like us saying, Jesus, where in the world are you? Are you there? Because all I feel and see is darkness. Why is that necessary for God to do this? Well, God sometimes causes the lights to go out and causes the winds to start blowing because it's only a storm that will show us where our trust really is. Sometimes the lights go out and the winds start blowing because it's only a storm that shows us where our trust really is. Because the storms come in our lives, don't they? And they reveal what we've really built our life on. Think about it. If you build your life on wealth, there's the storm of the downturn of the economy. You build your life on a job, there's new competition or the new employee that's better than you. You build your life on a job, there's the new boss that comes in who doesn't care about your history with the company. You build your life on your family, then there's illness and loss. There's the children, and you would say, I've done everything right, and yet they're not walking with Jesus. Or there's the Love and relationship, and maybe you build your life on love and relationship, and then there's the storm of rejection, or the hurtful breakup, or the storm of singleness. Or maybe you build your life on your health, and on your body, and working out, and then you get the physical, and the doctor comes back and says, you've got some really serious health problems. And I want you to notice, and this is hard, Jesus here, he's not with the masses, okay? He's not with the 15,000 people. 
he's with those closest to him. He's with those that he knows and who know him, those that he loves and who love him. And so it tells us a lot about the Christian life. Listen, no matter how close we are to Jesus, it doesn't always prevent you from having earthly troubles. David Dixon is a friend of mine. We went to church together in Oxford, Mississippi when I was the campus minister for RUF at Ole Miss. He's an Ole Miss grad. And when he was in college, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. And you need to know this about David. As he enters college, uh, he's the life of the party. Great sense of humor, vibrant personality, popular. He's a Christian And then he gets Hodgkin's disease, loses a ton of weight, uh, starts to lose his hair, loses his girlfriend, all of his friends that he would go out with. Well, he can't go out anymore, and so his friends start to disappear as well. He is at the bottom of the barrel. Uh, He says, my life had never been worse than it was at that moment. He felt awful, uh, but he felt deserted. He felt all alone, and he tells about... When he was in the hospital, uh, and he said, I was, I was done. I was nauseated. I was exhausted from the, the chemo. And I got up to go to the restroom, and there I am in my hospital gown. And I was so exhausted, I just collapsed right there on the hospital floor. And I just got in the fetal position. He said, but in that moment of feeling so hopeless, it finally hit me. That this is what grace is. He said up until that moment, until he collapsed right there, he said, I thought I was this great Christian guy doing all of these great things. I was loving people well. And then I realized as I was lying there on the floor that I was doing zero for God. I wasn't leading any Bible studies. I hadn't prayed and I don't know how long. I had done nothing for God, but God was doing everything for me. He did not leave me. But he still loved me and forgave me and was still committed to me. And in that moment, he said, I understood grace. That the Christian life and what Jesus came to do, it was not about what I was doing for him, but it was about what he had done for me. And he says this to this day. I've heard him say it. I love Hoskins' disease. Because I would have never learned the things that I have learned any other way. Some of you are in the middle of some really hard things. You're in the middle of storms. And could it be that God is using those storms in your life, whatever they might be, however big or however small they might be, to teach you things that you couldn't learn any other way? And you see, that flies in the face of everything you and I believe. And really everything that you and I want, I should say it that way. Because I want a technique. I want a gimmick. I want technology. Let's do surgery or pills or something to make me better and holy. And God says, no, no, no. You want to walk with me, I want to invite you into a process. Life with me is counseling. It's education. 
and training. And unfortunately, that training often involves storms because I'm trying to get you to stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in me. And that means there will be times of trouble. But in those times of trouble, you see, what you really believe starts to bubble up and come out. Because the storms reveal what you really think about God. Who you really think he is, and they also reveal who you are. And so why does God allow storms? Well, he allows them into our life to train us to trust him so that we know that we're not alone. He says, I am with you. How do we see that? This is the key. Look at verse 20. Notice Jesus doesn't say, I'm gonna, he doesn't take away the storm. He doesn't say, you know what, this is really not that bad. The winds aren't really that strong. He doesn't say this will pass. Verse 20, it is I. Do not be afraid. Literally, that should be translated, I am. Do not be afraid. Where have we heard that before? Remember Moses says God in Exodus chapter 3, God, what is your name? And God replies, I am. Friends, in the clearest possible language, Jesus is saying that he is God in the flesh. And he's coming to his disciples in the midst of the storm and he says, I am. I am with you. God is with you. Do not be afraid. And I don't know about you, but in the storms of life, one of the biggest comforts to me is to know that I'm not alone. I am was with them in the storm that day, that evening on the Sea of Galilee, and he is with you this morning in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through. There's an old pastor named Gardner Taylor And he was a preacher, a a preaching professor at Harvard. He also was a pastor in New York City. But he began his ministry by going through the deep south and basically preaching revivals and preaching uh, in tent revivals and at small churches and these country churches in the middle of nowhere. And he tells about a time when he was preaching in this country church in the middle of nowhere in Louisiana. And he said, this church, it was, you know, so far out, not much electricity. There was one light bulb hanging from the middle of this church to light up the entire sanctuary. And he says that he's preaching, and all of a sudden, in the middle of his sermon, it goes completely dark. The light, the electricity goes out, and he says, you could not see your hand in front of your face. That's how dark it was. Again, he's new to the ministry. He's freaking out. He can't see his notes. He said, I'm fumbling. I've dropped my Bible. I couldn't find my Bible. I can't find my notes. And he says, all of a sudden, from the back row of this church, this elderly deacon stands up and shouts, preach on, preacher. We can still see Jesus in the dark. And my question this morning is, can you? Can you still see Jesus in the midst of your darkness? Yes, I know we don't always understand. Yes, I know it's hard for us to get our bearings, but Jesus is there. And he always sees you. 
And this Jesus is the Jesus that threw himself into the greatest storm the world has ever known. The storm of God's wrath and justice. This Jesus is the one who made himself weak and powerless by going and hanging on a cross and becoming sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. I am. You've got I am. The spirit of this God living inside you. If you're a believer in Jesus this morning. And you know what that means? You can trust him to provide the resources that you don't have. You can trust him as you bring your five loaves and two fishes. And say, this is all I got. And you can also trust him. Whatever storm that you find yourself in this morning. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we need help. We need your spirit. We need your spirit to come into our hearts and to convince us that this is true. Would you make this passage real to us so that we know that you will not turn us away in the midst of our weakness and so that we know that you see us and are with us in the storms that we find ourselves in. And so that's all we ask this morning. Make this real and true. Give us faith and hearts to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.